You know, last week we ended with, you remember this, the seven trumpets. And so we were going to talk about transitioning into the seven bowls. And our team was dialoguing with it. We met with Robert and Lee and Ray and I again yesterday. I feel like we've had multiple, like, I don't know if people practice their sermons the way that we've been practicing. Like, we sit down and have a full-on team dialogue, you know? Wouldn't there be, I mean, maybe, maybe pastors do that all over the United States. I can tell you, though, it has shaped completely uh, how I have taught differently this, this last 29 weeks. And so Ray has played a huge role in this, huge role. Uh, everybody still, I think, you know, behind your back, you know, they call you the godfather of end times, you know? You just, I feel like you should have a cigar, actually, you know? <laughs> you and Buzz Leonard, right, sitting next to each other. Uh, but why do I say all this? Because I, I am going to get to the bulls. But what we're going to do is, is that as we have progressed over 29 weeks, I'm going to keep doing a review, but we'll keep adding a little bit depth as we keep reviewing. Because I, I feel like that's where everybody's at. I feel like you guys could actually come on up and really begin to teach this timeline. But we're just going to keep adding a little bit more substance as we go. Is that fair? Daniel 12 says that that's what's going to happen. As we're going, we're going to walk through this thing. And so uh, we always give Ray the liberty to jump in at any time. Kevin, uh, you know, you can jump in at any time. Sean is running behind the scenes, typing and interacting with people, and it's a team effort. And I just, again, keep acknowledging that because it's important to me that you hear that. So if you would, uh, let's just start off in Matthew 24. We're going to take a little bit of a turn here real quick. In Matthew 24, we are in lesson 29. We, will gonna, we are going to focus a lot, a lot, a lot on the two witnesses today, Okay. Uh, and then we'll get to the wrath side of things. Now, you guys know that we've alluded to this in Matthew 24, right? The signs of the times. Remember, Peter, James, and John, they're sitting down, they're hanging out. And Ray, what are they asking Jesus? What's the sign of the end of the age? What's the uh, sign of your coming? Uh, they're just wanting to dialogue because Jesus had just told them, <clears throat> really, he prophesied about the destruction of the temple. And so they're saying, when? They're saying, What? Right? He, Jesus is saying there's going to be a lot of birth pains. Okay, Kevin, what are some of the birth pains? What would be something? Um, earthquakes. Okay, good. Uh, false, earthquakes. False prophets. False prophets. Pestilence. Are you waiting for somebody to feed you the line right there? Yeah. <laughs> wars, rumors of wars. Like all of these things that we've talked about. Birthing pains, warnings. Here they're coming. Kevin? Love your honesty. All right, we're also going to see a peace treaty. The Antichrist is going to come in secretly. as a little squirrel going to come in. Nobody's going to anticipate, and boom, we've got a peace treaty with 10 nations. Israel somehow, some way is connected to all of this. And then that's going to launch into our seven years that's called the tribulation. Now, in the middle of that, right? Oh, I don't know why I do numbers. I figured that out by now, but oh well. In the middle of that, Ray, you have, what is that? What's that process called? It's the abomination of desolation kicks it off. That, okay. That lasts three and a half years. So the abomination of desolation is where the Antichrist stands inside a temple. And that temple implies that there is a temple. There's not a temple in Jerusalem right now, but that temple will be in Jerusalem, in Old City, in Israel. It's an actual thing that's going to happen. But ultimately, the Antichrist is going to come in and he's going to say, I'm God. That's the abomination of desolation. And then, Ray, as you alluded to, then that does get into, we already know, the Great Tribulation. Okay? Now, this Great Tribulation is what, Ray? What's the period on that it's one? It's three and a half years, halfway through. Now, in all of this, this is where it gets kind of crazy. In the Great Tribulation, okay, uh, we are going to have two people show up. 
Remember this, whenever the enemy has a plan, God has a better plan. So when the enemy comes in and says, hey, I'm God, God says, oh, well, let me show you about my people. I think that's important to understand. Whenever you're in a life situation and you feel overwhelmed and you focus on the enemy, I want you to always remember God's bigger than that. Okay, I think that's a real important value to understand this. So now I want us to go to, uh, in fact, I'm going to read Matthew 25, verse 15. It says, so when you see the abomination that causes desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. So when the Antichrist comes in, here's what happens to the Jews that live or to those that are associated with the Jews in that area. Matthew 24, verse 16 says, then those in Judea must flee to the mountain. So when the abomination of desolation takes place, you're going to see two witnesses hanging out in Jerusalem. We're going to talk about this. He's saying here, those that are in Judea, I need you to leave. Why, Ray? Why is that so important that those would just be in Judea? Well, it's, it's got to be something specific with activity of the Antichrist and all of the slaughter that's going to happen. So we don't get a lot of detail to know exactly what that is, but we know some kind of devastation is coming to that part of Israel. So in the last three and a half years, the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, the thought behind the scripture is, is that the Jews got to get out of there because God's got to preserve his people. Now, the last three and a half years is not God's wrath. This is still the tribulation that's going to take place, correct? Correct. Okay, so just so everybody understands, we're not talking about the wrath of God. We're not talking about the trumpets that we talked about last week yet. That's coming at the end of the three and a half years, okay? So if you want to understand even more uh, of a picture here, the great tribulation takes place, but then the wrath of God is after the great tribulation. Remember though, you have the Judean Jews. Let's call them that. The Judean Jews are fleeing to Jordan. They're going to have to have a home base in Jordan, Basra, 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 Jordan, Petra, in that area, according to scripture, and they're going to get out of there. Okay, so while they're out of there, in that environment, what's taking place in Jerusalem? Okay, you with me? What's taking place in Jerusalem is, is that God says, fine, Antichrist, you declare that you're God, I'm going to show you my two witnesses, and they're not going to back down. Okay? So I got to give you this picture. God gives a place for his people to be removed for a period, but now he's going to have a message that's going to be declared. And by the way, Judean Jews in Matthew 24, he says, if you're on the housetop, do not come down to go to your house. He says, uh, if you're in the field, don't go back to get your clothes. And in verse 19, if you're pregnant, woe to you if you are pregnant, because it's going to be hard to run. It's going to be hard to run. It's, you know, that whole barefoot and pregnant thing. This is a hard one right here. You don't even want to be nursing. You don't even have to deal with it on Sabbath because that's such a process. <laughs> so here's the reality. It's like, this is how real it starts. So what does it look like for the two witnesses in this time period? I want you guys, if you would, would you please go with me to Revelation chapter 11. Now remember, the trumpets have not happened yet. Trumpets and bowls are after the Great Tribulation. So we're talking about the last three and a half years of the seven years. Now, uh, we've alluded to that at some point, they're going to be raptured out. The believers will be raptured out, okay? There's a pre, there's a mid, and there's a post. I do want to just say at this point, we'll just leave it at that. Now, if you go to Revelation 11, 
It says this in verse 1, Revelation 11, verse 1. Then I was given a measuring reed like a rod with these words. Go and measure God's sanctuary and the altar and count those who worship there. Now, who is Kevin? Who's, who's giving a measuring rod? Who, who are we talking about here? Giving it to John. He's giving it to John, right? Then he says, go measure out God's sanctuary and the altar and count those who worship there. Right? This makes sense, but what, what, what is this that he's measuring? Let's just clarify that. Uh, the inner part, the, the sanctuary and the altar, yeah. which is alluding to, interesting to me, and it's alluding to the Holy of Holies. Yes, absolutely. He is being invited into the Holy of Holies. Yeah. He's invited into the holy place, not to the whole place. But I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go measure an actual temple. Now watch this. We're going to come back to this, right? But he says, exclude the courtyard outside the sanctuary. He says, don't measure it because it's going to be given to the nations and they'll trample the holy city for 42 months. So what is John seeing? John is seeing the temple that's going to be what? Destroyed. In Revelation 11, you now see John being described because we don't talk about that third temple much, right? We really don't because it kind of is built and then it kind of goes away. This is one of the few instances that you can say, oh, yeah. So in fact, how do we know that there's going to be a temple? Kevin, would you go to Daniel 9? We talked about this a lot, but Daniel 9, 27, same picture of Revelation 11. Same picture in Revelation 11 and Daniel 9. Daniel 9, verse 27, the scripture says this, he'll make a firm covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week, he will put a stop to sacrifice and offering and the abomination of desolation will be on the wing of the temple until the decreed destruction is poured out on the desolator. What is this implying? Daniel prophesied there will be a temple that the Antichrist stands in. So the minor prophet, major prophet, however you want to label Daniel, all of a sudden is now seeing what? The third temple that the Antichrist is going to step into. What is John seeing in Revelation? The same temple. <clears throat> okay, so he's told now, if you go back to Revelation, you have something, Kevin? And they're both saying it's going to be destroyed. They're, all, they're both saying it's going to be destroyed. And in fact, in verse 2, back in Revelation 11, it says that it's going to be trampled uh, for 42 months, right? 42 months is how long? That's three and a half years. Three and a half years. Man, I, I'm telling you how all of this just starts piecing together. It's, it's, it's crazy simple. It really is. And that's not some mastermind. It's just looking at scripture and with time, he just starts showing us, wow, that's what he's talking about. John, go measure this, the city that's going to be trampled for 42 months. Well, we know, Kevin, you're really good at this, but the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Medo-Persians, the, the Grecos, the, Greco, the Greco-Romans, right? Greece and Rome. Like, all of those have gone through trying to what, Kevin? Destroy Israel. So all of that has been a foreshadow of ultimately what's to come. So all of those of the destructions, yes, but we're not talking about the past destructions. We're talking about the future destruction. For the last three and a half years, for 42 months, John says, by the way, uh, that whole city, the holy city included the environment of the temple, it's going to be trampled on. Anything else you want to add to that? No. So he says, as that happens, for 42 months, as they are going to be, as Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, I want you to look at Revelation 11.3. says, I will empower my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days, dressed up in sackcloth, 
Ray, just for clarification, how long is 1,260 days? Three and a half years. So you have 42 months, 1,260 days, and you also have three and a half years. All of it saying the same thing. So he says, I'm going to give two guys, two witnesses. It doesn't say guys, but I'll empower my two witnesses and they will prophesy for the last, yes, three and a half years. And they're dressed in sackcloth. Now, let me just tell you about the sackcloth. I love what John MacArthur says. Sackcloth is a symbol of mourning because of how wretched the, yes, the wickedness of the world has become. God's judgment is on it and the destruction of the temple and the holy city has been overtaken by the Antichrist and, Ray, we would even allude to, the demonic spirit of that kingdom. And so here they have two witnesses. They're dressed in sackcloth for, two, or for three and a half years. And who are these, who are these two witnesses? I, I love this. One, one person defined this. MacArthur defined it as, okay, they're releasing a message of judgment from God. For the three and a half years. All they're talking about is judgment from God. And at the same time, his gracious offer of the gospel to all who would repent and turn back. So it's like a judgment and a mercy. It's an opportunity for everybody to turn to him. And we know over the course of time, right? Even with the trumpets, we saw people were not repenting, right? We saw that. So even after the three and a half years. But here's what you have to understand. When these two witnesses are communicating, okay? This was already prophesied that they were coming. These two witnesses. So in your revelation, you're like, oh, who are these guys? The Old Testament talks about them. The Old Testament had already, yes, predicted slash prophesied about this language. So my point is, is the more that you're in the Old Testament, the more that you begin to see revelation is not that overwhelming. That's not an arrogant statement at all. It's just the more that we are in the word, it just things just start to click. And so it says in verse four, I'm going to come back to this, who we think they are. It says, these are the two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Now, Kevin, if you would, would you go to Zechariah 4, specifically verse 14? Now, this is a vision, right, that was displayed in Zechariah. Zechariah 4, verse 14 says, these are the two anointed ones, he said, who stand by the Lord of the whole earth. They're referencing, okay, now this is just going to throw you off a little bit, Zerubbabel and Joshua the priest. In Zechariah, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about Zerubbabel and Joshua the priest. Their testimony, as one theologian said, is to the truth. And here it is. It's not, this work is not done by my might or by my power, but by my spirit. So if you think that these anointed ones are coming with the spirit of God, that's how you have to understand this picture. But that the Zerubbabel and Joshua, the priest, is just a foreshadow of ultimately who it is. Kevin, does that make sense? Yeah, it's not necessarily talking about them, but it's foreshadowing who's coming. Now watch, when you get into verse 5, again, I'm going to go through 5 and 6, and then we're going to break it down. If anybody wants to harm these two witnesses, this is awesome, by the way. I don't even care if you're like, see, God doesn't do that. I don't care. At this point, something has to change. And if anybody wants to harm my two witnesses, fire comes from their mouths, humans, and consumes their enemies. <sighs> Rich, can you put fire? When, can you just do that? If anybody wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. So if anybody comes to kill the two witnesses, how does he kill them, Ray? Fire. Fire. Fire from their mouth. It says in verse 6, these men have the power to close up the sky 
so that it does not rain during the days of the prophecy. They also have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with any plague whenever they want. So, you know, in your mind, you're processing, gosh, that sounds like some stuff I've already studied before. I want to give you, again, these don't come from me. MacArthur does a great job on this. He gives you six reasons. And I, I would tend to say, I can't prove this, by the way, nor can any of you. But there's a really good chance it's probably Moses and Elijah. Okay, so you have these two witnesses. Well, why do we say that? Well, one of the very first reasons is that Moses, this is the same reason here. Moses, what does he do? He strikes the ground and plagues take place. Right? Can I, is it okay if I just circle M and there's just going to be a lot? So he strikes the ground and you see the plagues take place, correct? So that, that would be an example of what you could see. So Elijah, what does he do? Elijah has the power to keep from raining. I mean, you guys, we, we know that example. But can you go to James 5, Kevin, if you don't mind? James 5, verse 7. James 5, verse uh, 17. James 5, verse 17. James 5, verse 17, please. James 5, verse 17. This would just be one of the illustrations, right? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, yet he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the land. By the way, we have a nature just like Elijah. We can pray like Elijah. So one of the reasons, one of the simple reasons is, well, Elijah did this earlier on. He prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it looks, it looks clear. Now, when you look at Moses, just as a frame of reference, right? In Moses, if you go to Exodus 7, 17 through 21. Exodus 7, 17 through 21. Uh, this would be the, the context of turning what? Water to blood? You guys remember this? Here is how I will know that I'm Yahweh. Watch, I'll strike the water in the Nile with the staff in my hand and it'll turn to blood. The fish in the Nile will die, the river will stink, and the Egyptians will be unable to drink water from it. So the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, take your staff, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, canals, ponds, and all the water reservoirs, and they will become blood. They will be blood throughout the land of Egypt, even in wooden and stone containers. And then what happened? Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded in the sight of Pharaoh and his officials. He raised the staff, struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile was turned to blood. And then it keeps going on even into 21. The fish in the Nile died. The river smelled so bad. The Egyptians couldn't drink the water. There was blood throughout the land of Egypt. So what do we see according to verse 6? Well, it just says that they have the powers to turn it into water, into blood, to strike the earth wherever plague came and they could get it to stop from raining. So clearly, one of the examples could be Moses strikes the ground, Elijah powers, has the power to keep from raining. That's one, one of the reasons why the two witnesses could be Moses and Elijah. We'll get into a lot more into this, okay? Number two, I think this is an interesting one. The Jewish tradition, I don't know if many people know this, but the Jewish tradition believes that Moses and Elijah will return to the future. Okay, the Jewish tradition believes M and E are coming back. Some references that you would have in this is in Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 18. What does that look like? Well, it just says that a prophet from among you, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must 
Listen to him. And it goes all the way through 18. Kevin, if you would, would you go to Malachi 4, 5, and 6? Malachi 4, 5, and 6. Again, what we're trying to do is we're trying to show you the importance of God's timing of these two witnesses. Hang in here with me because at the end, it's totally worth this. It says in Malachi 4, 5, and 6, look, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. What's so funny is, you know what we try to do with this, right? We always try to figure out who's Elijah. What if it's Elijah, right? Don't we do that? We have this conversation all the time. People in the theological circles in the end times, who's going to be the Elijah? What if it's actually Elijah, right? One of the reasons we do it is because Jesus talked about John the Baptist being an Elijah. Yep. You know, he's a, he's a forerunner of Elijah coming back. Absolutely. In John 1, 21, it talks about that same language. Number three, okay? Number three. So hopefully you guys can read my chicken scratches. Number three, this is kind of one of those that I think everybody understands, but both Moses and Elijah were present at the Mount of Transfiguration. Kevin, can you go there for me, please? At the Mount of Transfiguration, let's go to Luke 9, 29 through 32. Okay, so here you have Moses and Elijah at the Mount of Transfiguration. It says, as he was praying, the appearance of Jesus' face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. Oh, by the way, they appeared in glory and were speaking of his death, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Peter and those with Christ were in a deep sleep, and when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who were standing with him. So the disciples saw Moses and Elijah, okay? This is a, a foreshadow. I'll go to you here in a second, right? This is a foreshadow, you guys, of the, of the coming of Christ. What if he's giving us a picture of the two witnesses there and then the two witnesses again before he comes again? Whew. It sure seems like things begin to click like that, Ray. Uh, and it really, it, it helps you understand why Peter said what he did. Hmm. And he wants to build a tabernacle for each one of them, which is the Feast of Booths, which is the millennial reign. There it is. Remember, the millennial reign, thousand years, is exactly what Ray alluded to. The Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, for the whole providing and protecting of his people. Kevin, do you want anything? Well, I was going to say, John was part of that crew that, was there, there when that saw that with Peter. It's good. At the Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah, it's good. All right, uh, let's go to number four. Okay, why, why do we think possibly it's Moses and Elijah? <laughs> oh, gosh. Can I just release it? I just, I'm just, go to Matthew 5, 17. I mean, it's so crazy, you guys. This isn't even one of the options. Uh, Matthew 5, 17, don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. He says, I came to fulfill. Just what if already both of these, Moses and Elijah, represent the law and the prophets? Just in that simple aspect. <laughs> That's another whole story. <laughs> All right, now watch this. Moses and Elijah, number four. They both use supernatural means. Okay, this is going to sound a little bit vague, 
but I like it. They use supernatural means to what? To, uh, I'll put this word here by MacArthur, practice repentance. All throughout the Old Testament, whenever they use these things, there were seasons and windows that certain people would respond in repentance to this. So the supernatural pointed to simply the repentance. Now, this is the one that like, if you're like, if you think there's a swirly one, this is it. And this is the one you're like, oh my gosh, where have I been? <laughs> so if you already thought about it, you already knew all this, your season's ahead of me. All right, now think about this. Elijah, he was taken up alive. Moses was buried, but nobody knows where his body is. I'll give you some references to this. Kevin, can you go to 2 Kings 2.11? Why is this important? We had this discussion, but we didn't talk about the undertones of this one. So in 2 Kings 2.11, as they continued walking and talking, so it's basically as they're walking with Elijah, a chariot of fire with horses of fire suddenly appeared and separated the two of them. Then Elijah went up into heaven in the whirlwind. Elijah did not die. Whoop. The next thing you know, let's talk about Moses' body. Okay, Moses' body, if you would, go to Deuteronomy 34, 5, and 6. Deuteronomy 34, 5, and 6. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, as the Lord had said. And in verse 6, it says, He buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, facing Bet Peor, and no one to this day knows where his grave is. Why is that important? Because at some point, you're going to see two witnesses. And Ray, our, our discussion was hard because here, here's, let's, can we go there? Let's just get swirly for a second, okay? Yep. If this is Moses and Elijah, okay, and the rapture has already taken place, hang on here. If the rapture has already taken place, then are Moses and Elijah going to come in the form in heaven, on earth in their resurrected bodies? It doesn't feel like these guys are in resurrected bodies. It feels like what? It feels like they're in a, in a mortal body. In a mortal body. So if they have been raptured up, would he take a resurrected body and then put it back in a normal human body? That, I don't know if it makes sense, but it does to me. So is that under, do you, are you with me on that? On the timing of, of the rapture? Okay, so we know that at the halfway point, you got two guys, either they didn't cut it and they didn't make it. They didn't get raptured or it hasn't happened yet. So you got two guys here that we just don't, one was taken up alive and one whose body, we don't know where it is. Okay, we got one more, one more uh, reference here. Uh, of why possibly it is Moses and Elijah. And, you know, this one's a little bit different. It's just kind of simple, but the length of drought. Okay, this is not a dogmatic one, so just hang in here. None of these are, but the length of drought uh, that the two witnesses were present was what? Three and a half years, right? I mean, it's the same time period. Uh, the length of drought is the same as 
that they were present. I'm not writing that well, but does that make sense? They were here for three and a half years, and the drought was three and a half years that Elijah had prayed for. So like this time period, even that, I know you're like, well, that's the that's same number that you're reasoning. I'm not saying it's hard. I'm just saying it, it, those things help when you look at things. Kevin, do you want to add anything to that? Just going to say of, of what Elijah prayed for and God withheld the rain. I mean, think about this. In, in verse 5, in Revelation 11.5, Revelation 11.5, remember fire comes from the mouth. That's what it is. But Elijah's whole thing in his ministry, right, when you look at 1 Kings or 2 Kings, is that he always gets God to bring fire. Like, that's his thing. It's fire and rain, right? That's a pretty, two really awesome qualities, by the way. But like fire falls down, destroys all these guys. Oh, by the way, there's 50, fire falls again. And so I think for me, like, even just that background of their ministry, you know, the question was, is how, how does fire come from mortal bodies? Ray, I mean, have you, had, have you tried those new Cheetos? <laughs> <laughs> My daughter, Sayla, loves them. I do not like them. Like, I don't, I don't know that answer. You got anything to that? <laughs> you know, it's the same, uh, you know, it talks about Jesus and fire coming from his mouth and his eyes. And yeah. I think it's just showing the deep, intimate connection with the words coming from God being released. Okay, um, I want to I move on. We need to move on here with this. I'm just trying to show you who these two witnesses could be, Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophet, pointing to the fulfillment of Christ. Now, we're the 144,000 in all of this, okay? Now, remember, at this point, they have not gotten sealed, okay? Does that make sense, Right? 144,000, they're the Jewish evangelists. So here's what I want to say. I believe that these two, and Kevin, you made a great point earlier on today uh, offline. Like, what if these two become the, the recruiters and the messengers for the 144,000? Think about this. His two witnesses are sealed. Nobody can touch them. But then with time, it grows to 144,000 that are sealed and nobody can touch them, which then that even leads to more people. So all I want to say is for three and a half years, you guys, guys, guys that are dropping judgment and dropping the gospel in boats. And people are hearing this message. Where are the Jews, by the way? The Judean Jews are in Jordan. Can they still hear the message from Jerusalem? The whole world will hear the message of these two messengers. This is not just a, oh, if you live in old city walls, you hear this. The whole world will know about these two witnesses. And in fact, in verse 7, 11, 7, it says this. When they, meaning the two witnesses, Finish their testimony. It's that same language, by the way, in John 19, when Jesus said, it is finished. It's that same language. When they are finished with their dropping their testimony, it says the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them, conquer them, and kill them. Right? Who on earth is the beast now? Uh, it's, it's the empire. It's the, it's the uh, I was getting ready to say more than I needed to. The, uh, it's the beast empire. So it can practically be the Antichrist, but it's that spirit of the demonic from that kingdom, that beast, that is allowing the, whole, uh, the, the Antichrist to do the work. Yep. Kevin? It's interesting, though, that it's not until they're finished, which is three and a half, the 1260 days. Yeah, 42 months, three and a half years, 1260 days. That's a long time preaching, by the way. It's a long time teaching. It's a long time declaring the gospel. It doesn't say they took breaks. Three and a half years of delivering the gospel and judgments coming. And when they were done, the enemy came 
conquered them, had war, and then killed them. Now watch this. In verse 8 of Revelation 11, it says their dead bodies of these two people, maybe Moses and Elijah, will lie in the public square of the great city, Jerusalem, which prophetically is called Sodom and Egypt. Now this Sodom is representation of this. And again, this comes from Nelson's on this side. Sodom represents the moral degeneration of the city. The morality has just fallen apart. And then you've got the Egypt side of things, which is a symbol of idolatry. So you have immorality and idolatry. And so this city is fallen. And oh, by the way, this is the same place where the Lord was crucified, according to Revelation 11. Eight. Dead bodies are in the public square, just so you know. The Old Testament, everybody knows, forbids the practice of a dead body out. Like you don't just leave a dead body. It's, an, it's a disrespect. It's a dishonor. Even in Acts, it talks about that. You don't leave the dead body. But why? Because it says this in verse uh, 9 says in representation, representatives from the peoples, the tribes, languages, and nations. How do we know everybody saw this? Because it just says in Revelation 11, 9, everybody from all over the world will view their bodies for three and a half days. They are going to watch on Fox News, on CNN, on MSNBC, whatever, whatever it is, on the internet. It'll go completely viral and everybody will watch these three and a half days. And it says, and by the way, nobody... They're not permitted, it says, in for three and a half days and not permit their bodies to be put into a tomb. We're just going to watch this thing. Two witnesses, maybe Moses and Elijah, lying dead. They had three and a half years of declaring the gospel and nobody can touch them. It got to the point, you guys, where in verse 10, yes, the enemy began to celebrate. Those who live on the earth, it says three major things. They're going to gloat over them, celebrate, and look at this, and send gifts to one another. They are going to have, this is truly a holiday of the dead. And by the way, be careful on what you allow yourself to connect with in holidays. They're celebrating, they're giving people gifts. The two guys are dead, the two witnesses are dead because these two prophets, what did they do? They tormented, their view was is they tormented, they brought judgment to those on earth and everybody's now celebrating. But after three and a half days in verse 11, 11, it says the breath of life from God entered them. <laughs> and these two witnesses stood on their feet. This is actually going to happen. At the end of the seven years, it's gonna happen. God's going to raise up two witnesses. The whole world is going to see this. And then instantly it says, so great fear fell on those who saw them. That means everybody. <laughs> oh no. So the breath of life, man, we could teach on each one of these aspects, but it came from God. God breathed life into these people. It's almost like Ezekiel 37, life came into the dry bones mentality, right? I believe this is a picture of what happened at the cross. Hmm. Jesus is in the ground enemies doing the happy dance thinks he's defeated jesus and he flips it on him we're watching 11 12 revelation 11 12. then they heard a loud voice from heaven i, I think everybody heard come up here so a voice from heaven says to those that have come back to life come up here and then it says they went up to heaven in a cloud while they well, they watch their enemies watch them. I don't know. They, they watch as they're leaving. See you later. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, now, here we go. Let's go. I'll come back. Uh, here's a question, okay? 
Why, when they came back to life, would they not preach again? They're back to life. I told you. Hello. Go to Luke 16, 31. Jesus says why. (laughs) This is even more ridiculous now. But he told them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Do you catch that? They're not going to listen. Moses and the prophets. Somebody comes back to life. It's too late. We're not going to spin our wheels anymore. But I am going to show you, God says, who I am. And he says, come up here. There's a really good chance, Ray, what's this a picture of? It's the rapture. The rapture. There's a good chance that this is what that could be. And at that moment, it says this, Revelation 11:13. a violent earthquake took place. A tenth of the city fell. And instead of saying what we're used to saying, 7,000 people survived. You know what I mean? Remember, like the guy's complaining, oh, this is 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. Now, where are the Jews, right? The Judean Jews are in Jordan. In Jordan, they're hiding. The survivors, now that survivor language, it could be people everywhere, correct? Correct. But anytime you hear this language in scripture and gave glory to the God of heaven, typically it's alluding to salvation. So you have survivors seeing people being what? Resurrected and raptured, resurrected from the dead, rapture taking place. And people are saying, oh, wow. (laughs) But some actually turn to the Lord and say, praise God, right? I think it's interesting the two witnesses are resurrected, then raptured. (laughs) That's such awesomeness right there. Okay. (laughs) Did you catch, are you, I I think you're with me. I really do. I really think you're with me on this one. Whether you agree with me, that's another story. But I like this picture of the survivors were terrified and gave glory to God. What if, now we know this. Okay, that once the end of the seven years takes place, okay, you have now what's called, we talked about this, right? The wrath of God. So remember this, after the great, it's actually very prophetic what I just did. In this, it's not like one day, by the way. I got to keep emphasizing that. It's not just one day. Remember, the survivors that are there, as everybody leaves, they start praising God. Why? Because they begin to realize, Zechariah 12, 10, oh, that's who Jesus was. Zechariah 12, 10, if you'll go there. You're with me. If not, just write it down and then go study it. (laughs) This This is a lot to process on this one. Resurrection rapture takes place, but then he's going to protect his people in the process, right? Right? But during the wrath of God, right, what does he have? He has 144,000 that are talking about Jesus to everybody else. The messenger were sealed. The witnesses were sealed. They're taken. Now I've got more messengers in place. God always has a message in every season of life. And in this process, Zechariah 12, 10 says, Then I'll pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the house of David and the residents of Jerusalem. They will look on me, at me, whom they pierced. They will mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child and weep bitterly for him as one weeps, yes, for a firstborn. Zechariah 13, Kevin, verse 1, if you'd go there as well. 
Zechariah 13, verse 1, it has the same language, same mentality. On that day, a fountain will be opened for the house of David and for the residents of Jerusalem to wash away sin and impurity. The two witnesses, I don't know how to describe this, like they went through a process of judgment, message of judgment and a message of the gospel. As they left, that opened the door for the Jews to say yes. And he protected his people in the middle of it all. And even in the wrath of God, as his people are still here, they haven't been raptured. Those that didn't say yes, they're still here. He's got 144,000 evangelists telling everybody about the Lord. So what happens during the wrath of God? Okay, we've already alluded to this. I'm not going to write all of it down, but I will just tell you this. You have the seven trumpets, right? That's what we talked about last week. The seven trumpets, and you know this, so I don't even have to like spend a lot of time, but I will say this. The first trumpet, hail, fire, wind mixed with blood. Third of the earth, blood, right? Burned up. Third of the trees, burned up. All grass. All of this is taking place now after the church is out. Those that believe in him are out. So you have the seven trumpets, but Ray, how do you believe that the trumpets parallel with the bowls? So if you study the trumpets and the bowls, Trumpets are declaring it from heaven to be released, and the bowls are the execution of it on earth. There you go. Think about if a trumpet is, I'm announcing it. So they're happening at the same time. Yeah. So it's not a separate time period. They are declaring and releasing. Trumpets are announcing, bowls are releasing. Same time. Now, we, we freely admit there's a hole in one of this argument. The first trumpet and the first bowl we don't really see matching. It, you can kind of make it. There's earth burned up, third of it, earth of the uh, ground being burned up, trees. Uh, but then in the seven bowls, the first one talks about painful sores. So is the sores because of the earth being burned up? I, we don't know that, and we're not even going to try to make that stretch. But I want to just make a comparison. I'm not going to write them, but I'm going to say, remember the second trumpet talks about uh, the sea becoming blood? Well, do you know that the, the second bowl is the water turning to blood? If you go to the third trumpet, right? You have this uh, great star fallen from heaven, that language, right, of, uh, yeah, of, of bitterness, right? This wormwood talks about bitterness to the water. Third bowl is, is the river, uh, third bowl is that the springs in the water are, are uh, not drinkable. You get, into the, uh, you get into the fourth, the fourth trumpet. Remember the third of the sun, third of the moon, all that is darkened. The fourth bowl is the heat from sun. So like, there's just this, the parallels of the fourth to the fourth, the third to the third, the fifth to the fifth, the sixth to the sixth, because of time, I, I think you get the point. The only one that that really doesn't work with, and maybe we're just missing something, is the first one. But the point is this, at the end of the seven trumpets, it launches into the thousand years. So our thought and our belief is that these parallel each other. And the two witnesses launch this. The two witnesses are the ones that are hanging in there in the three and a half years declaring the message. They're dead. They come back to life. They're raptured. And guess what? Now we have the wrath of God that takes off. We don't know how long the wrath of God is going to take place, but we know that it's there. All right. You made it. <laughs> That's a lot. I asked the Lord for a different illustration. I asked the Lord for a different picture uh, on how to close this, and he's he said, it's not, it's the same. When you talk about the wrath of God, when you talk about these different people, I know this is super cheesy, 
Nikki, I should have you put these on because it's your birthday, but like when you put these on and you have, you have a whole different perspective. And I really believe that when you look at the wrath, when you think about these two witnesses, when you view this as God is looking to still spare and save his people, this works. If you think God is just coming to destroy everybody, I don't want to talk about it either. And so I love walking through this process. And it's pretty clean from the very beginning. God knows who he's going to put in place those last three and a half years. And it looks, it looks like uh, Moses and Elijah have been his mouthpiece even until the end. <laughs>